0: A night at the ballet should always be exciting. But there's nothing like the frisson when Carlos Acosta is in the house. The Cuban dancer has a connection to audiences that feels electric. A combination of elegance and fire, the hard-knock beginnings converted into a stunning international career, plus charisma running from his toes up to his springy trademark curls. I'm David Jays and this is the third season of Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. Our guests often describe how dance has changed their lives while Carlos, starting in one of Havana's poorest neighborhoods, has transformed his life beyond all expectation. He's been a favorite at the Royal Ballet, at the Bolshoi, on the page and on screen, and his talent and inspirational effect have been widely recognised, including in 2018 by the RAD's prime honour, the Queen Elizabeth II Coronation Award. Carlos leads his own contemporary dance company, Acosta Danza. And in 2020, he became director of Birmingham Royal Ballet. Great timing for a demanding new gig with a global pandemic just around the corner. It must have been unbelievably demanding to keep his dancers and himself motivated. But he's already changing the company's profile and BRB and the RAD have just launched a new collaboration designed to share the love of classical ballet among teachers, students and audiences of the future. We're lucky to get some time with one of ballet's busiest. There's a lot to talk about. It's time to take the stage. Carlos, welcome to Why Dance Matters. Thank you for inviting me, Dave. To go back to the very, very beginning, if dance hadn't been something you happened to be amazingly skilled and passionate about, what would your life have been like, do you think? God knows.
1: I didn't have a sense of... (laughs) the world such, and my place in it. What I seen was uh, traders, uh, my dad, obviously, who was a truck driver, who would go up and down the country transporting fruits. So that was the example. I like football, I like sports, but, you know, uh, sports like football in Cuba is is not uh, very well regarded. Uh, It's very hard to foresee what my future, you know, would be like. And obviously already by the age of nine, I was enrolling into petty crimes and things like that. So, but I can tell you that most of my friends in the nineties, there was a big crisis in Cuba and they, they flee the country in raft. Some of them end up being in jail. It is that kind of thing that the environment, um, pulled you to it. Uh, and so my environment was at times could be a very hostile, um,
0: you know, it's a it's a very tough question to decipher, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And those kind of sliding door moments where things could go one way or another, you have no idea. But what was the moment when you felt, dance, this is what I should be doing with my life?
1: I think that moment came at the age of 13 while I was in a boarding school in Pinal del Rio, which is a city to the uh, further west, the west side of Cuba, of Havana, three hours away from, from Havana. And I boarded there for for two years. And while I was there, I saw the National Ballet of Cuba perform in, in a theater in town, a very small theater. And I saw this dancer performing a flower festival of Hensano, a bill piece. That was a wake up call for me. I thought that, wow, this is great because I immediately associated with the sports, which I like very much because I was always been very restless kids. And, uh, you know, I like to run and play football. And, and so I saw this muscly man jumping very high and very effortless, it just cultivating my imagination. From that point on, I could understand why I was training. So I was training all these years to become that, to be, become that dancer, that professional. And from that point on, since I was in a boarding school and I have a lot of time to practice extra hours, that's what I did. I became obsessed. It started that practice and that impetus that I put behind all the work that I did it started to bear fruits because I've been selected for new choreographies. You know, my teacher selected me above everyone else and that started to feel my confidence. That's why it's so important, the role of the teachers uh, in, in the formation of a dancer, of a kid, of a student, they show you the way. They create a narrative that makes sense to you. You be, begin to trust, you know, that mentor like i did and that uh, filled my confidence there was no turn back for me Uh, i wanted to be a good dancer from
0: that point on clearly the physicality of it and the energy of it captured your imagination when did you start digging into sort of character and and this whole psychology of it all
1: Music is all over Cuba all the time. Wherever you walk around, music is a it's a way of life. I despise the piano music and the classical music because uh, it was alien to me. I wanted to break dance and I was more, kind of music a beat that give you this energy rush. The classical music take more time to get used to it. But by that time, my ear were more accustomed to that kind of music, and obviously dance and music goes hand in hand uh, and then at that point, I began to appreciate it more and more. but then there were little choreographies narrative base that also was essential for for me that you know you play a role you maybe are, you are a rat or you are a a soldier, or that kind of thing. So, it, this art of storytelling that uh, is pretty much the essence of what we do, and the music, or and the sports, uh, all of a sudden it was coming together. At that time, I knew what the pattern was for a class, the structure of the day, and the structure of the school, as such, that it was, in a way, familiar. And then at the end, we will compete where we have competitions and those competitions of science, it happens in Havana or in, in other cities. And then in those competitions, you also had the chance to see other schools in the nation and sort of measure up to them. And I think all of that, that not only involve your relationship with your iPhone, but also involve traveling and involve also pairing yourself in a different contest. That, that sense of competition. It was clear that that was a lifestyle. And then after that, uh, I auditioned in Havana, I got into the upper level school and uh, my teacher select me to go to Prix de Lausanne. And then while I was in Prix de Lausanne, all of a sudden that level escalated into a level that was more professional. But I, I think it all came together from that point on that I saw the National Ballet of Cuba uh, perform. I started to have a sense what the future will
0: like. And I guess you had that sense when you started to travel, when you started to see more of your horizons expanding. Now, the National Ballet of Cuba is, is a revered company. It's one of the great companies of the world. But- How hard was it to decide that your future lay outside Cuba? Was that a difficult decision?
1: Yes. Needless to say that at the age of 13 in Pinar del Rio, I had no understanding to what end this art will impact my life, not just yet. I was selected in the, there were the, all the schools in Cuba, like hundreds of kids the head of the, the schools nationally Ramona, who up until today, she's one of the most important figures in my, my career and in my life, selected two kids to go to work in Turin, in Italy with the new theater of Turin. There was a cultural exchange between the national school in Cuba. And that theater. And so she selected me and a friend of mine called Ariel Serranos. And that was quite a, a special moment. And uh, I remember that it was a tragic accident in 1989. The flight that was supposed to take us to Italy came down and it killed everyone. And for a miracle reason, we didn't receive the, the visa at that point. So we had to postpone. It's one of those things. So, but she said, she selected us and we, we, it took us to Turin. And that was already the beginning of my journeys outside and everything. But it was when I won Prix de Lausanne that it was obvious that I had a talent and that I could do something wonderful with my life, but not before.
0: Fast-forwarding a bit, yeah, because there's a lot to get through, you danced in America, you came to Britain, and of course became a guest principal with the Royal Ballet, where you gave loads of iconic performances. Very much at first, it was the core classical repertory that you seemed very comfortable in. Has that always been... Something you've not been intimidated by those huge iconic works. I
1: admire you know, uh, dancers like Barishnikov, like Nureyev. I, I, I didn't want to become a good dancer. I want to become an artist. You know, somebody who right. could uh, spark emotions in others. That could constantly reinvent itself somehow. I knew. That I was very good at projecting, you know, like dancing, like Don Quixote and Diane in Action and these kind of roles that were more closer to who my, my upbringings like Basilio, which is a barber and Action, which is a hunter. These roles, they're famous for the power display and the high jumps, leaps and turns, all of that. I could do that very well, but I didn't know how to project the prince of being Romeo and all the Macmillan repertory and the Ashton repertory. But I I wanted to cultivate them as well, and that's why the Royal Ballet was key in my career because it gave me the repertory, gave me a chance to grow up as an artist, and I enjoy so much of what we do. Is the fact that one you keep changing and projecting an image of yourself that is different. And, you know, human beings have many layers. I was very keen to explore all those layers and deliver it to uh, the audience a, a different image of myself each time. It's, I think that that was the way to go. I knew that it was impossible to project all of these roles. Uh, at a very high level at first. I knew, for instance, that I had to learn so much before I really get into the depths of roles like Myling and Romeo and Juliet and all of that, which there is a big arc of growth within the roles. You know, you start at a point and then the character becomes more complex. It all that comes also with your own development as well and how the way you see life you know you're 20 life is in a certain way and then it grow up and then you see it differently and the person impact the artist obviously because the artist first of all most is a human being and so the more this human being grows where well, you see roles differently see life differently and project a, a paint a, a paint differently i knew that I had a lot of time to catch up because, you know, things like I read my first book at the age of 25 and I didn't have a lot of cultural upbringing. So in the context of perhaps everyone else, I knew that I have a lot of time to catch up. And so I needed to hurry to learn. And that motivates me. You know, the, the fact that every single hour I'm learning something or I'm, I'm using it, to the maximum extent of the capability so that I can learn is something that becomes a habit. And even till this day, I'm always making plans and a strategy for both companies that I direct uh, and thinking in ways that I I can learn new things somehow. That's what motivates me. And that is what the Royal Ballet in many ways offer me.
0: And there's that odd sort of paradox, as you just said, that in a way, you're at your most athletic, your most energetic in your early 20s, but to get the life experience to dig into those really complex roles the Macmillan ballets like you said, the other classics, you kind of need to be older to bring all of that stuff. Is there a is there a moment in between youthful energy and mature experience where you're kind of at your peak?
1: I think the peak, it it all comes down to the person. It's very hard to pinpoint. Like for instance, Alicia Alonso danced their best from 50 onwards, (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) say. So you might say when people are like a decade already retired, you know, that's where her peak arrived. So, uh, so it's very hard. Every person is different. Obviously I think she was an exception, but uh, I think normally around 30, 30, 31 32 you have the the experience you still have the use your person the way you behave it settles in a way that you don't feel eager to say look at me who i am look 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 at me look at me like when you are 20. when you are 20 it's all about look look at me how much i jump almost like a young horse but when you are twenty, you already done that. You're you supposed to be already at that point established. You you have toured, you have been in galas with others dancers, so that you know where you are in the context of worldwide and other companies and other dancers. You very settle in your way, so that you begin to discover value just by standing up or walk. That is also very beautiful. It's not just the jumps and look at me—I'm I'm showing off. But it's more about the relationship that you form with your partner. All of the other things that people sometimes take for granted—you know—it's like poetry, emotion. How do you deliver something just by walking or running? And also, you recognize that every little moment that you go on the stage is is very unique in itself. It's just a moment in time that it, it goes forever. You start to give value to those moments, you know, and at this stage that I am in my career, more so because every time I go on stage now, I say, thank you. Thank you that I'm still consider myself a dancer. I think I, I must have been that age when I was invited for the first time in Paris Opera to perform Nureth Don Q, which is a very extremely hard piece it's the kind of piece that you really if you think you are a technical dancer you are not unless you try something like this where it requires to do things both sides it requires a tremendous shape to sustain all the magic of that piece and the energy over and over again from the beginning until the end the solos are so long and so many and for both sides everything so I was very pleased that I still could do that, that stage. So demanding and Elliot, because then ref do It was by far something the harder and different that I have experienced by them. It, it came at the age of 32 uh, and I still could cope and I did it very successful. Yeah. I, I think I would say around that, I think it should be uh, uh, somebody speak. I would say.
0: Yeah. Carlos, I have been in the audience for a lot of your performances. And one of the things that is always, almost you can touch it in the atmosphere is there's a lot of love from audiences to you. There's a crackle, there's an excitement. Is that something you've always been aware of?
1: I became more aware as my career, went ahead slowly i think uh, in london it became something that i started to cultivate gradually and i I think i had a sense that people were in a journey with me somehow because i was not just doing all these roles but simultaneously i began to do uh, my own productions and I wrote them my autobiography and they've been documentary. So people wanted to be part of that journey and also follow my, the development of that kid that I was coming from Cuba and now a principal dancer and a guest art in the Royal Opera House. It was something that uh, I could sense people were investing in the journey of this artist somehow. The other thing is that I think people had a sense is my commitment. I I, I was always a hundred and twenty percent there for them, you know, I enjoyed to not disappoint and for that I worked very very hard so that whenever I'm there it's absolutely the very best I could give and then to defend that magic, you know, that everybody was waiting for.
0: And, of course, you're now engaged in forming and building those kind of relationships in a different way as an artistic director at Birmingham Royal Ballet. I mean, I guess when you're leading a company, when you're dancing leading roles, there's a sort of responsibility that comes with that. But does that prepare you for running a leading classical company with all the managerial stuff, the administrative stuff, the human stuff of it all, as well as the artistic decisions. I think nothing prepares you to
1: direct a large company like that. You sort of run with your instinct and then try to be sensible and trying to work with people. It's all about human relationship and how clear is your vision and how clear is this a way that you convey the vision and so and trying to get everyone to buy into your vision and then being fair i think being fair and being honest it's uh, is something very useful when you're honest people know exactly where you're coming from and what are your expectations and then they have the chance to shake your hand with you and look the other way and say thank you but i'm i, I don't want to get into this path uh, i'd rather find something else for my life those who who want to be part of this journey then they know what they're going to find and then i'm always argument my my point um like this is how i see it and why and you could only do your best i really want everyone to succeed the company and the dancers and i want to be able to as much as i can pass what i have learned you know the way that i used to perform those ballets and my insight the narrative that i've been given the ways that i contribute as well personally to the narrative of these ballets as well so everything i could give them to them so that they could develop but then when you get into a company as large as BRB, where you had to deal with, uh, you know, an orchestra and then the lip department, which is so large, you know, I don't think nothing prepares you for it. And if you try to deal that during the lockdown, <laughs> oh, well, <God>. that, <laughs> that, that I'm telling you, that already it takes us uh, somewhere else, uh, if, uh, you know, to a different level. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm always been very optimistic. I'm always very, very positive. I always been very good in trying to do something that it might appear a defeat, try to take a, a message or to turn it into my own advantage and uh, try to get something out of it. And so I, I keep applying this way to the company, but also to myself, because it's been very hard emotionally to keep the spirit alive in times. And, and also I, I have three kids as well. I just went with my instinct and I have a very good staff in BRB, uh, the companies keep changing. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. What, what is clear is that so far we have been able to have people talking about BRB in a good positive light. It's good to see.
0: Pandemics permitting, <laughs> if we can look ahead for like five years, how will BRB be different if everything goes to plan? Will the repertory be different? Will the dancers have a slightly different energy? What What's your hope for that?
1: the repertory will be different obviously we will re, revisit it a, a lot of the repertoire the, tra, the traditional ballet the swan Lakes oh, they're always gonna be around and the Nutcracker as well and all of those ballets but i'm bringing new ballets to the company that it challenged the dances and the company as a whole so that the level rise up i think that is paramount and also keep surprising the audience in terms of how eclectic and how versatile the company could be so that we could we could bring new audiences the repertoire you're going to see is completely different it's going to be very risky and sometimes you know expect that we're not going to get it right but i think the path of being bold and risky that's the way to go i want the company to go where they haven't been or where nobody has have, haven't been. I know that sometimes you could fail. You always had to take the the challenge uh, and the risk to invest in titles and ballets that are not ballet related sometimes. Like people don't think of a title like that to turn it into a ballet. And I think that's that's a good way. But what I really would like the audience to, to say, okay, what, what else BRB is going to take me, uh, is going to bring me next time? What one next? And then keep people waiting, knowing that the brand BRB is going to give you an experience. And that experience is going to be absolutely quality. But there's also new balance for BRB, you know, that we haven't been able to see in Birmingham and I also very much aware that this is a Birmingham project so we need to work within the community and also give a a sense of what we are and what we can be within the community so that the community supports uh, our production.
0: One of the threads that has gone through your career and through this conversation is Don Quixote, the ballet based on Cervantes' novel. It's one of the great classics, but often it's more loved for lots of spectacular dancing rather than for the heart of the story. And when you produced it for the Royal Ballet, it really did have a gentleness and an emotional centre to it. You're doing it again with Birmingham Royal Ballet. Why is it an important piece for you?
1: I wanted the Birmingham Royal Ballet to have its own production. We do a new a uh, new designs, new choreographies. The main bulk is the same, but, you know, I re sort of choreograph the role of Amour, which uh, the Royal Ballet was uh, a female and this one would be a man. And then the campfire as well. I will have a fiddle with the choreography as well. It's just to have these distinctions between the two productions. I think the Don Q is a ballet that every big uh, ballet company should have because there's so many roles for everyone. It keeps the company in its entirety in shape. That means that everybody is active and it's a ballet that contributes a lot to the dancer's development. To me, one of the downside of this ballet is how it failed to give the Don Don Quixote the its importance mm. that deserve, and so that's why I position. Yeah, he's
0: quite often sort of exactly. pushed to the it's side, like, isn't he?
1: He's a character there, even though the ballet bears his name, is uh, is no, it's almost not relevant, which I think he should be the hero. Yeah, uh, and so I did try to bring that character forward so in the beginning in the the prologue already we see him with dulcinea and all the purpose of his quest for trying to help the mankind or or the needy wherever they are there is a passage already in the prologue that it has the the, a role that i call the shadows which again they are just images that come to him that uh, and then he goes and grab the the sword and fight them already characterize his persona in the prologue. And then there are things like that. I'll always try to put him in and break the scene as such, and then bring him forward as a reminder, this is his ballet. There is a scene of the minuet in the first act. Uh, that all of a sudden in the middle of the minuet, I froze the scene and then he sees Dulcinea coming and they have a small a small moment there dancing with her and then it goes back into Dulcinea turns into Kitri and then on you go in terms of the scene that was frozen and forward in the story. There is also others Uh, for this production. I'm trying to bring animation. I'm trying to bring projection. The concept I apply to this ballet is trying to visit a classic through the lens of today. And today we have more technology. There is no point to recreate a classic how it was. And so applying that concept in the second act, I'm gonna bring some animations. This is the part where all the suddenly Don, Don Quixote sees this windmill turning into a giant, to a monster. And so there is kind of like a dual narrative happening simultaneously. In the, the Royal Opera House production, I did the windmills, we did the windmills physically, but in this production, we're going to do it in animation because this has to be lighter. Because um, as you know, first and foremost, we are a touring company. We did it from that perspective so that it is light and easy to transport and to uh, put it into different stage. It is a very important ballet because it's a family ballet uh, is, is the is a chance for the family to bring your kids and to your grandparents. And equally it, it would appeal to both. And it's a happy ending, feel good ballet. Uh, you know that ballet is a, there is a lot of tragedies already. Ballet, everybody, everybody, yeah. one <laughs> way or another dies. You know, but this ballet, it's a feel good. You know, go and have a mojito ballet afterwards. Yeah. You know.
0: So, <laughs> and after the last year or two, we deserve some right, happy endings, right. I think. <laughs> BRB and the Royal Academy of Dance have just announced uh, a collaboration which is very much about connecting that classic work which is at the heart of a major ballet company with the work that teachers and students do from the earliest stage. Do you see it all as, as one continual line that connects the smallest, local dance class to the grandest stage
1: definitely this is a very important uh, partnership for us it's trying to get more kids and more students to engage with ballet beyond the the ballet weekly lessons at the moment 40 percent of the kids actually do so but we're trying to increase that and so we're offering workshops with dancers uh, pre-performance talks Special events, ticket offer, et cetera, We would be focusing uh, in connecting with the dance teachers and the students around the country. I think this is this is a continuity uh, in in many ways that uh, I think it gives the this art form a larger scope. We have the dance track program in our community, which is a really wonderful project that you know teaches dances for free to kids, aids six to eight uh, and we had 200 or something kids that we we teach and we get them the gear and everything but it just keep that relationship with students alive and take it a further now with this uh new partnership with the royal academy of dance uh, ultimately it's all about this art form and how it is positioned in in people's life and eventually also as well you know that can translate into Uh, audiences as well because a lot of the kids if they don't become professionals the students don't become professionals they could become
0: teachers or they could potentially become audience yeah and just to come full circle um you're talking about your ambition for the company and your plans but we started by talking about your childhood and is that scrappy little kid who didn't even know what a career in, in dance might look like. Is that still there? I mean, from the outside, you're hugely assured, you're uh, wildly successful, but is is the little kid still <laughs> in there as well?
1: I, I think so because I haven't lost the curiosity. There is a lot that I want to achieve uh, in my life. This is a stage of my life, but there be other stages that uh, I will I will try other things. It's there. That kid is there. Uh, also, the fact that I'm a father now, you know, and I'm, I have kids of my own, it's just wonderful relationship as well. And that also helped to keep that kid within me alive.
0: There's so much more we could talk about, but we are going to let you go. I promise just finally, Carlos, why does dance matter to you?
1: Dance uh, is, it's been my purpose, my mission, everything I accomplished, it, it was because of dance, but dance uh, rescue, rescue me, you know, took me out of a world of poverty. And so my parents, I managed to bring my my family completely to london to new york and to houston and that was because of dance and uh because of dance i i have found the most amazing friends and teachers and mentors but also dance what is dance dance is the most natural thing to human beings you know we used to dance since we were primitive you know to the the rain to the sun, you know, is something that come very nature. When people ask you, hey, what are you? And you say, I'm a professional dancer. That, that's a reason to feel proud, you know, to be able to say something that is nature to human beings. You took a feather and you do that as a trade. You do that as a, that's your essence and your purpose. It's to explore dance. I think I, I don't think uh, anything that could give me more pride than to call myself a professional dancer. I think it's uh, just a wonderful thing.
0: Carlos, it has just been enthralling to listen to you this today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. I can't get enough of the sliding door moments when I talk to our guests on this podcast. The what-ifery of it all. What if Carlos hadn't been quite as good at ballet? Quite as dedicated or determined? It's clear from talking to him that things could have been so very different. And I love hearing him talk about passing on the joy and deep fulfilment dance has brought him. You can find out more about the RAD's new partnership with Birmingham Royal Ballet in our show notes and please do subscribe and like the podcast so that it makes its way to other people who might enjoy Why Dance Matters. Our guest today was Carlos Acosta. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning And working with our producer, Sarah Miles, always creates a free song. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.